Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 552. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, give us a tease. So today's show is going to be about how the truth is hard, but it's also so much easier. That doesn't make any sense at all. Paradox. Paradox. Got to live it. Truth is hard, but it's also so much easier. I'm writing this down so I don't forget what we're talking about today. Yes. Do you want me to tell you where I got it? Sure. Okay. So Brene Brown um, interviewed the Duplass brothers, Mark and Jay, a month or so ago. Um, And I've listened to it three times. For for some reason, they're just all these things they said just struck a chord with me. And I think it's that overlap of the entertainment industry with our conversations with art, with writing. Like, I I just feel like there's so much overlap. Um, So one of the things that they were talking about, I think it was Mark who said it, and Todd and I tried to go through the podcast and find the exact point, but we couldn't because it was like an hour and 15 minutes. But you can listen to the whole thing. It's worth your time. Mark at some point is talking about how he and Jay relate to each other and have conversation and how they have learned that the truth is so hard, but it's so much easier in the long run. And I think I've been saying this to people for the last couple of weeks in regards to having conversations about race, into p- talking to our partners about our partnership, into how you parent your children. I think it's like a... It's a universal... It's a universal understanding. Yeah. The practice of it is going to look different depending on what we're talking about, but it is. it really does it informs everything that the truth can be really hard, especially in the moment to say something honest or to, to be vulnerable or to say what you really mean or to show up in a difficult moment. But doing that hard work up front makes everything on the backside or going forward, I should say, not on the backside, going forward so much easier because then you're basing everything off of truth right? rather than, defending a position that's not true or using defense mechanisms to demonstrate why you're right or being righteous or um, pretending that you don't care when you really do. That's exhausting. Right. So you got a page of notes there. I got got like three. You have three pages of notes. I have zero pages of notes. So between (laughs) the two of us, we have three pages of notes. Good. Uh, Before we do that, Uh uh, we have a Zen talk this Thursday Uh at noon. It's a live podcast. You guys ask questions. We support each other. Uh, we've done almost 100 of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, first month's free. We'd love for you to get on. And we're also doing something special this month where we're also d- dedicating two of the four podcasts of the two Zen Talks this month to white fragility. Yeah. And, and to, you know, just to be honest with you, every Zen Talk we've done in the last three weeks, we've talked about race. Sure. So it comes up um, on the white fragility conversations that we've been having on alternate weeks, but it also comes up on regular Zen talks. So feel free to join us this month and to have this discussion, especially if you're kind of digging deep yourself. Uh, what's the coupon code again? Friend? Uh, friend. Okay. I'll be there for you. That's friends. Oh yeah, friend. Um, and we haven't done a pop culture in a while. We've been distracted with COVID and Life other world and- events. Talking about race and talking about what's most relevant right now. So, but we'll get back at it. Everybody hang tough with us. Yeah, it just, for the last couple of weeks, it hasn't felt hasn't like felt a right. fit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what, what are we going to 
do another teen movie, um, but we'll come back to it. And then uh, I we have a weekly tribe men's group uh, virtual meeting. Uh, next one is tomorrow night. We do it every Wednesday night at 7.30. We're actually going to talk about structural racism on Wednesday night's call. So if you are interested, just go to tribemensgroup.org. So. Okay, so there's a few... Uh, there's a few things like underneath this umbrella that the truth is hard, but it's so much easier. So I'm going to try and talk about it in terms of the way that I've been using this this week. So, um, so in regards to race, I think the message, um, if people have been listening for the last couple of weeks, and I hope you have, and I don't mean to our show, I mean to, uh, black thought leaders and authors and teachers who are, you know, telling us, maybe the things we haven't been willing to hear before, um, or we are now reading the history of our country and having a better understanding of things that maybe we didn't give enough, enough attention to previously. I think the thing that we're realizing is if we can dig deep into that and tell the truth about the the systematized oppression and racism in our country, then it's a lot easier to have conversations going forward. As soon as you can recognize that in your in yourself, not in again, I'm going to say this, I feel like this has been repetitious on our show, but racism is not about overt action. It's not always about behavior. It can be, but it's not always. It's about what's going on inside of us and the things that we learned. And if you grew up in this country, or other countries for that matter, but I can only speak to where I sure. grew up, then you you lived in it. You experienced it. You saw it. You felt it. You, you, there's no, even if you had a black friend or even if you lived in a diverse community or even if you worked with people who were African-American, you still live, you, those are not, those are not get out of free cards. Those mm. are not like, see, I don't need to look at this. It's systematized. It's with. It's built into the fabric of our country, of our communities, and that's if we can tell the truth about that. It's so much easier than to listen, and to talk about it, and to ask questions, and to even make mistakes along the way, which we're inevitably going to do because as soon as you start to unlearn and dismantle, you you realize things you've said or things that that have been, you know, maybe not overtly unkind, but were unkind in that you were not being a good listener or that you were not paying attention or noticing or that you do have to deal with your shame. If you can just own that, then every conversation after that is easier. I, I'm trying to differentiate my truth and my honesty when it comes to race. Like um, my, I need to be able to realize what my experience is, be truthful about it. But it's not about your experience. It's about well, you just talked about how experience. like I know, but you're talking about oh, I grew up in this country and things like that. So I'm trying to think like how am I part of this system? Okay, okay, I understand. I, I think the way that you're using the words, you're like I need to realize my experience, and the whole point of talking about race is realizing other people's experience. I know, but then la we talked last week or two weeks ago about how I need to own my own bias. Correct, but owning your own bias means realizing other people's experience because of your bias. It's not, it's not, uh, even though I think we're talking about the same thing right mm -hmm. now. Um, and you're just trying to kind of parse out the language yeah, I'm just and the trying words. To find out where we're going. Um, and I totally understand that, but I think that it is also, 
um, right now is not about individualism and just our experience. Right. It's stopping and saying, I'm going to look outside of my experience mm-hmm. because that's what a lot of people do. They'll say, I didn't experience that, so it doesn't exist. That didn't happen in my home, so it doesn't exist. That didn't happen at my school, so that doesn't exist. And you're disregarding communities of people who are saying, but it did for me. Right. And so that when you're talking about truth, you're talking about that the, is the, with a capital T. That is the truth, not my truth. That is the truth is we live in a systemic racist, uh, right. racist society. And, you know, uh, was it Miriam? What, what dictionary changed the definition recently? Remember, Webster is the only one anybody talks about as far as I know. Uh, maybe it's Webster that they actually changed the definition of racism in the dictionary to to include systematized racism right. and not just overt behavioral racism right. or spoken racism. Right. Because we've been talking about how being neutral, you are feeding into the system that is oppressing men and women of color. Because the system was created, was built on it. Yeah. So it's like, that's why I like when the, the language of it's in the fabric of it. Right. You, you know, you can't, you're starting from, it's built upon it. Right. Therefore, there's no way to not have it be a part. Yeah, it's part of, exactly. it kind of reminds me of this is water where the fish are saying, what is water? Exactly. That's like, an example that people use sometimes. We can't uh, dis- differentiate from it because it's always been there. It's always been there. And the fish, when they say, you know, how's the water today? And the fish swim by and say, what's water? Right. Because they're in that water mm-hmm. all the time and yeah. they've never even realized that they're surrounded by water because it's all they know. So how do the fish realize that there's water and how do us human beings realize that there's racism? Well, and that's the self-awareness and self-actualization and being willing to listen and being willing to to reconsider maybe some of the history that you've been told is it's a learning process. It's a you know, it's it's again paradoxical. It's unlearning and learning. Um, you know, it's Yoda. You must unlearn what you have learned. Right. Like what that means is there's some things that we like, you know, what I said on Team Zen uh, the other day, but th- there's a million examples like this is, did did we ever think about that Band-Aids are called flesh colored, but they're white flesh colored? Yeah. Right. But we as a society like, yeah, but this is flesh colored, mm-hmm. but it's not everybody's flesh color. Right. So that's but, the water we've been swimming. Exactly. In. So we're like this or, you know, this one, and this is more about gender um, and about, you know, women not being involved and, and, you know, in filmmaking. And they were talking about that when men make movies, male directors, they'll say, this is the American experience. They are directing the American experience, the, or whatever, you know, wherever they're from. Yeah. Um, this is the, nor- this is the typical experience. But then when a woman makes a movie, it's a woman's movie. Got it. Or when a person makes of color makes a movie, it's a black movie. Or it's when, who was that? Andy Murray. Is he a tennis player? Andy Murray? Uh-huh. Uh, and the guy, he was being interviewed and the guy said, well, something about women's tennis. And And he's he's like, like, it's just tennis. It's just tennis. And this is exactly, this is what it means to unlearn is that we say to ourselves, like people who don't want to, to think about these things. Yeah. He's a British tennis player. Um, people who don't want to think about these things say, oh, you're just getting too politically correct on Mm. me or, but they're not even considering that there's a, a many, many people who are not who do not fall under that umbrella sure. of the the American experience. Yeah. The American experience is really the white male cisgender experience, and we're all expected to fall under that. And then there's different categories. A lot. Then there's the white experience, and that includes women who are white who cause a lot of issues and challenges. Yeah. You know, in in their own 
in their own choices. Well, one of my blind spots uh-huh. was when we we're doing pop culturing and we we're talking about who your favorite kid was and stand by me and who you most identify with uh-huh. or whatever, you know, I never really thought like, if you think of the amount of movies I've been watching since I was born, they're almost always male protagonist and antagonist, but 100%. whatever. So I never really had to work really hard to figure out who I identified with because everybody who's up on the screen looked like me. Mm-hmm. Whereas you girls or you men or w- men and women of color have to like identify yourself with these white guys up on the movie screen. Correct. You know what I mean? Well, exactly. We have to and we have learned to in that. And again, I'm only going to speak to my experience. So I'm going to take it off of people of color right now. And I'm just going to talk about my my female or my woman experience is that that's all I know is putting on, you know, it, it, I think it develops your empathy as a person or your understanding of other people because we had no choice but to identify with male protagonists, male white, you know, cisgender protagonists, the majority of our life. Right. So that's what I know. Now times are changing and we have other, we have other people on the screen and other people on the TVs that we can identify with. But again, we still do the thing of these are black movies, these are women's movies, these are chick flicks, and here's a regular movie. Yeah. And the and regular is, movie regular is The Godfather. Gender. Or yeah, yeah, or Heat. Yeah. Or, you know, these movies that are basically from a male perspective, right. because ninety percent of movies um, made in Hollywood right now are made by white men. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can, we can give all the statistics. And the point is, is, is I'm not, we're not, this, this show is not about hammering that and saying, we need to worry about Hollywood. I'm not focused on Hollywood right now. Right now I'm identifying the fact of the language we use is the unlearning yeah. of the waking up and going, wow, what we've called everybody's experience is not everybody's experience. Right. You know, we have to we have to again expand our view of what does it mean. We have to include everybody's experience in everybody's experience. Sure. Am I being redundant with that word? But this is what I've been learning hmm. or you know listening to this week. So, or in the last couple of weeks. So, just another ways to identify that truth is hard, but it's so much easier. I wrote down a bunch of sentences. Sure. So, doing your upfront work instead of having to defend or lie something you haven't considered. You know, like. You know how sometimes we get into an argument, like someone brings something up and we just don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so we start to like either gaslight or push it away or say, defend, defend, whatever. So if we do our own work, we'll be less likely to defend. Correct. The truth is hard. That's the, that's the work, but then it's so much easier going forward Mm -hmm. because if you don't tell the truth up front, you're going to have to spend all your time defending what you're not telling the truth about. So in that example, yeah. somebody says something to you that makes you defensive. Correct. And the reason you're defensive is because you haven't done your own work Correct. in whatever it is Correct. we're talking about. So what you're saying is if we do our own work and see what the capital T truth is, yes. we will not have to get defensive and then we can have a conversation. Correct. Then then a lot of those walls, because what is what is defense? It's like putting up a fence or a wall, right? Yeah. Well, something Where, is, is inhibiting. I, I think that I'm being threatened correct. and my survival is at stake. So we armor up, we mask up, we do all those things where then any kind of conversation is a lot more difficult to have through a wall, sure. right? And so one of the quotes that I wrote down um, that I really love um, is it's from, um, it's from Ijuma Uluo. And she wrote, so you want to talk about race, okay? And one of her quotes in that book is, being privileged doesn't mean that you're always wrong Mm -hmm. and people without privilege are always right. 
It just means that there's a good chance you're missing a few very important pieces of the puzzle. So I think a lot of people, when when I'm when we're talking about truth with the capital T, they're saying, "So you're saying I have no truth, and I need to listen to other people and only accept their truth as truth." Yeah. It just means expand how you see things and what the truth may be. Is you may have some really ingrained, doubled down upon ideas, mm-hmm. and then when someone's saying, "But that's not my experience," yeah, it can still be your experience, but you make room for other people's experience. So too. this is where I go with what you just said. Okay, um, you said you know being privileged doesn't mean you're always wrong. It, it kind of reminds me of when people are like you know. Uh, we've had so many examples. Like there's that one video of privilege and the guys in the field and all those kids are in the field. Uh-huh. And if you, and they would, and it's a race to the, to the finish line. And they'll say, if your parents stayed together and didn't divorce, move forward. Right. So they get a head break. start. Mm-hmm. So all these mm-hmm. kids who yep. got these head whatever, starts, head right. starts. And a lot of times people get defensive and say, well, I worked really hard. Correct. And I feel like whenever, you know, I have a conversation with somebody about white privilege, Sometimes it'll be like, yeah, but you don't understand. I grew up with a single mom too. And that doesn't mean, or I did these things and it made everything hard for me. Just because we're saying you have privilege doesn't mean you didn't work Well, hard. and this is where we get into cognitive dissonance is it's like we can't hold both things. Yeah. As soon as we hear that someone had difficulty because of race, we then become defensive to say, I I did too, therefore you really didn't. Yeah. Versus if, holding both. Right. Can both be true. Both can be true. And we cognitive dissonance is probably it, it it's not just around race. It's around our parenting. It's around our partnership. It's around anything. And I want to read you the definition. Oh, good, because I was about to look it up. It's the concept of mental discomfort when our thoughts, feelings, beliefs don't match our actions. So we justify them often in silly ways. A simple example of cognitive dissonance is this. You ready? Mm -hmm. I don't like bad drivers, and I think they pose a danger to others. But I was speeding down the freeway to work today. So example, cognitive dissonance is this. I can stop speeding. I can stop worrying about other bad drivers, or I can be defensive of my own actions. I can do these things to make myself feel better because I acted in a way that does not match my beliefs. So we all experience cognitive dissonance because we're human beings. Like we, we basically are like, you know, you, we have a hard time holding two things that seem contradictory. Does that make sense? A little bit. I kind of feel like at least in that example is like, I don't do what I say. Right, it, exactly. Like that's maybe one little small example, like, you know, cognitive Okay, dissonance. how about this one? Uh, you see a Black Lives Matter poster in front of a home, and you think, but white lives matter too. Mm-hmm. And so this sign challenges your belief system, and you feel the need to defend yourself to reduce that tension. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. So this is you discrediting racism. Yeah. You're justifying it. Right. You're saying, no. I do too, because you can't hold the fact that... Just because somebody puts this in their yard and says Black Lives Matter doesn't mean... Doesn't disregard you. Right. Not at all. So, the you this know... This is all like... The question is confronting yourself, like, why am I having this reaction? Mm-hmm. Why are Why do you... And, and again, this gets into, like, semantics. I'm not saying you're a liar. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that can you... I like expanding mm-hmm. rather than, like... 
you don't have to like drop every belief you've had on the ground and say, okay, now I'm going to pick up other people's beliefs 100%. What you do is you hold your beliefs or your experiences as your own and you make room for other people's experiences. So we all know that that life is valuable mm-hmm. and that all of us are important and we matter and we're special. But Black Lives Matter means we're not paying attention here. Mm-hmm. We've been disregarding here. We have been looking away or getting too used to seeing black bodies harm. Right. We have not been recognizing how the system was built on this racism. So you can say, but my experience... I didn't do that, but this can still be true. Cognitive dissonance is our mind saying, but these two things can't exist together because it wasn't my experience. Yeah, can you invite the paradox? So for me, um, just since um, you know all this has come in the news as of late, we're spending a lot more attention on race. Yes. Where I've gone is that what I'm trying to do is inform myself and Correct. educate myself, movies, you know, TV shows, blogs, writers, all that stuff. And then it's like, that's step one. And step two for me is to have conversations. Mm -hmm. Can I have these conversations with all types of people? And I think where we're going today is that it's really, really hard to have a good, to have a productive conversation from a place of defensiveness. Correct. Or a place of lack of mm self-awareness, which I guess by definition is defensiveness. And what's interesting is when we get defensive, because we all do, we mistakenly think that a threat to our ego uh-huh. is that we'll die. Mm-hmm. You know, our brains are hardwired to to our our heart get starts beating quickly, and adrenaline goes there when we get called a name or, or when get called out. Get called out mm-hmm. because we think that we might die. Correct. When in fact we're not going to die. Right. It's our ego is bruised, and it might our ego might die a little bit. Yeah, which wouldn't be such which a wouldn't bad be thing. such a bad thing. So I feel like, you know, to you talk about self-awareness, we need to have that differentiation. Like somebody just called me out for saying the wrong word. Right. Am I going to get defensive because that that scares me and it's I don't want to be scared. So instead, I'm going to lash out and attack. Right. Or can I sit in this discomfort of being called out, whether it's right or it's wrong? And listen. My experience has been when this has happened, and it's happened many times, not just when in regards to race, but the LGBTQ community or anything else that I'm like, uh, you know, when it comes to being able-bodied or, you know, when maybe the words we're using just aren't correct or we're not uh, are not the ideal words. Sure. Let me just say that. And, and my experience has been that initially I do get defensive because I'm human. Yeah. Uh, I don't always respond defensively, but my internals, maybe the cortisol starts to go, the stress comes up, the embarrassment shows up, sure. however that feels. So I initially get defensive. And sometimes um, I think the lag time is getting less right. um, because of practice. Sure. Um, it's a muscle. So, but then the next thing to do, if, you're, if you can be self-aware and kind of breathe through that initial discomfort is something like, tell me more. Or, you know, if somebody is saying, you said this and it's not great. So when um, you say, tell me more, you're talking about that is a verbal tool in your toolbox yeah, that you can say. Exactly. And, I've, and I, I'm thinking of one interaction that I didn't have too long. It wasn't too long ago. And the person was telling me something pretty difficult to hear. Um, and they had felt that I hadn't recognized um, a piece of the puzzle, we'll mm-hmm. just say. And I 
and I obviously got defensive because I'm thinking about all the things mm-hmm. I'm trying to do and yeah. say and be. But that's that's ego. Yeah. That's you're not seeing me. So this is this is an interesting way to look at it. I'm getting defensive because I feel like that person's not seeing me. Right. And how dare they? But they're trying to say for themselves, you're not seeing me yeah. either. Right. So we can have a battle of wills and say who who needs to be seen more? Or we can kind of take a leadership role in ourselves. I'm not saying overpowering a domineering leadership role. I'm being I'm saying act like a leader yeah. in that you say, okay, tell me more. And that person may say, well, I'll tell you this much, but you need to do some work in this area or learn that and say, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you know what you can say? Thank you. Because maybe there were some pieces of the puzzle you didn't see. Yeah. And then you can go home and start to you know, piece these things back together. And it doesn't mean you need to drop everything you've ever believed. I mean, some people, maybe, yes, Mm -hmm. maybe they need to dismantle more things than others. But again, I love this quote from, so you want to talk about race. I'm going to say it again. Um, Being privileged doesn't mean that you're always wrong and that people with privilege are always right or people without privilege are always right. It means that there's just a good chance you're missing a few pieces of the puzzle. Like a blind spot. Exactly. So like instead of us being like you are not seeing all of me, someone's just saying here's a part that can help you put this puzzle together more accurately. Well, and usually if you have some type of reaction, you know, it's one of those things like you spot it, you got it. Correct. Like, and these conversations are vehicles towards picking up on your blind spots or your projections. Well, and so let's, let's using the same idea, let's talk about parenting a little bit. And the idea is truth is hard. Truth is hard but it's so much easier Okay. or the idea of cognitive dissonance or these kind of all like fall under this umbrella. I just really like that paradox of the truth is hard, but it's so much easier. So I work with a lot of, you you tend to work with more with people who identify as male. I tend to work with people who identify as women. So that right there, I am hearing stories about, and again, typically the women I work with, not all, but a lot of women I work with are in relationship with men Mm -hmm. and, or they're partnered with men. And they tell me stories about their experiences with their partner. And they say things like, well, you know, he just doesn't understand this or he just doesn't understand that. And then I'll say, and when you tell him that this is bothersome to you, what's his reaction? Well, I, I haven't told him that. Right. I'm not saying that, um, you know, he just should know. Yeah. No, he, he has no idea how you feel because you're not doing the initial hard thing, which is saying it. Or they'll say, I said it to him two years ago and Correct. he didn't listen. So there's no way he's going to listen this time. And now here's something interesting that we can kind of, I'm trying to not say these are equal, but show the parallel. A lot of times then when I push my clients a little bit like, well, you need to tell them they get angry with me Mm -hmm. because they're like, you don't know how much I'm already doing. You don't know how much I'm already showing up and being a parent and going to work. And you're asking me to do another hard thing, but they're coming to me to talk about their relationship with their partner. Mm -hmm. And then when they say, here's the problem, how do I handle this? And I say, you need to speak up and do a hard thing. Mm. They get mad. So in no way am I saying this is exactly like the experience of talking about race, but it parallels with that someone will say, here's my experience. um, And, you know, I'm, you're not seeing this and I'm telling you what you're asking for. And then that person pushes back and says, but you're telling me I'm not doing enough. And they get angry. So, 
in in that you know this is all pretend, but in that pretend session, uh-huh. well, a hypothetical, but very accurate in terms of it's consistent. Like maybe if you preface it like, "I see you're doing all this stuff," all right, but, but I totally hear you. You're still in this situation, and the situation situation is you're not connecting with your partner in this now moment. Correct. So I see that you're doing all the emotional Correct. labor, all that other stuff. But if you want something to change, you have to speak up. And you're coming here saying, "How can I change?" or "How can I change this dynamic?" And my experience is that I'm your, I'm your therapist, or I'm your, you know, you're having this session with me. Sure. So I'm going to tell you what. I see you can do. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what to say to your child to make them do different, mm-hmm. something different. I can't say something about your partner. I can only tell you what will make the change. Because that's who's in the room. And, you know, this is very similar to like when Brene Brown started talking about vulnerability. Uh, companies or organizations, CEOs would call her and say, please come and talk to our company about creativity, but don't talk about shame or vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And she'd be like, um... What I teach is shame and vulnerability and how that leads to a creative process and how without shame and vulnerability or without noticing it or recognizing it, there is no creativity. Yeah, you're stunted. And Robin D'Angelo, who wrote White Fragility, she talks about how in in White Fragility, she talks about how people, CEOs or organizations ask her to come in and talk about diversity. Mm -hmm. And she will speak in like generalities about race initially, and then she'll start to point out specific things. And those people get angry. And they'll say, you're telling me I'm doing something wrong and I work really hard. And she's saying, why did you ask me to come here? You're asking me to come talk about diversity, but then that's the fragility. So it seems like in all these examples, Brene Brown, Robin DiAngelo, or Kathy's office, you're each, you know, whatever teacher is trying to shake things up. But not to shake it up, but because it's... Disrupt it's a, the system. It's a path to a different outcome, which right. is what people are asking for. But, so what people want to do is they want to keep doing the same thing and have a different result. They want me to tell them something simple they can do to change their partner, then they won't have to do it. Yeah. Because they the hard work is actually doing something different than you would normally do, maybe acknowledging something that's hard to acknowledge, maybe noticing a shame or a deception. But instead of doing that, they say, how do I change him right. or her? Or how do I get my children to stop making... Like another one that is interesting in parenting is we will say, our our children will come to us and say, you know, we'll say to our kids, talk about feelings, talk about your feelings, it's healthy. And then our kids will come to us and say, I'm bored or I'm sad. And we're like, ugh, I can't, you know, you're making me feel bad about this. You're making me feel bad, you're sad. And and, and what am I gonna do? And, you know, I don't know what to do. And you told them it was okay. There's a cognitive dissonance piece in this too to be sad, but then you get overwhelmed mm-hmm. when they come to you and say, I really am having this experience of sadness. You can't handle it. So you're asking for something. They give you what you're asking for and you can't handle it. And this is why I'm using these examples to help us understand the race discussion. Similarly, is that when a person of color is saying, you hurt me, you know, you know, we may be we're having difficulty in some way where we're not connecting. And then the person of color says, you hurt me because you use this word or you, you're stereotyping or you're not looking in the eye or you're dismissing me or you're not noticing mm-hmm. the system at play. And we say, oh, I'm, 
I'm so offended that you wouldn't know me better than that. And yeah. this person's trying to give you information yeah. that you didn't have. Yeah. And again, I, I understand the initial defensiveness because we may need to take some deep breaths sure. and say, you know, to because I've had, you know, experienced it personally, like we all have, I know that initial feeling that comes up and denying that is not human. Right. But then instead of reacting, can we respond in a way that's actually inclusive and thoughtful and then listen? And the response is something like, tell me more, or mm. I'm curious, or, um, you know, what else did I not see? Yeah. Um, it may necessitate an apology or it may necessitate more education on your part. Um, but I think why this conversation is so relevant, not just today, but going forward in our parenting is this is a constant, continual practice. It does not end. Like, it, there is no point that you're like, I got it. Yeah, we don't you know? arrive. We don't arrive. This is the case with our partnership. This is the case with our children. This is the case when we're talking about race, is that we have to be willing, the discomfort that we have, the practice of doing the hard work, telling the truth up front, makes things easier later. Mm-hmm. And that gets back to the truth is hard, but it's so much easier. Well, and it kind of reminds me of just, you know, we talked about Brene and vulnerability. Um, a phrase that's uh, heavy in my life, especially with the guys that I work with, is we'll ask each other, are you open to some feedback? Got it. And being open to feedback means vulnerability. And what's interesting is there's many times when there's certain men in my life, they're like, are you open to some feedback? And I'm like, yes, I'm willing. Yeah, I'm open. And then they tell me and I get mad. Right. You know what I mean? So it's more like... So in terms of race or relationship or whatever, can we be vulnerable enough to say, this is kind of where I am right now. Maybe I'm missing something and maybe you can help me, whether it's a therapist or a partner. To be open to feedback requires vulnerability because Mm -hmm. I know the way I view the world is the way that it's supposed to be. But I know that's messed up. Mm -hmm. But our our ego. Of course. Our ego wants it to be, wants our insides perception and the outsides to match, but Mm -hmm. it rarely does. Like Mm -hmm. we're all trying to, we're stumbling through this world. Mm -hmm. So I guess my only invitation to myself is like, whether it's about race or relationship is, can we be vulnerable enough to say, this is kind of where I am, but I feel like I'm missing something. And when somebody says, well, have you considered this perspective or have you tried to do this? Can we be open enough and not be threatened when that comes our way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, and you know, my work has been around because especially when it comes to things about self-awareness or, um, you know, acknowledging others or, you know, spiritual growth. Sometimes when people give me feedback about that, and you know this for sure, because I talk about it, I do have a defensiveness because I have been reading and working sure. on this so long that there's part of me that wants to be the, the part of me is the ego yeah. wants to meet want people to acknowledge like when someone presents something to me and they're like you know have you ever considered that self care might be important mm-hmm. and I'm like um yeah. yeah for like even do you see my reaction yeah. been, uh, duh of been course there, done that. but sometimes it's just semantics where I'll be like. I get initially defensive or they'll suggest a book that's been out for 20 years that of course I've read that. But then I, it's like, take, stop for a second, Kathy, take a breath. breath. They're not trying to destroy your sense of self. They're trying, they're either offering you something 
or maybe within what their definition of self-care is, you haven't considered. Yeah, maybe there is something there for you to learn. Exactly. Maybe there is a part of this book that you didn't consider, or there is a part of self-care that you haven't, you know, could it be an offering? And sometimes, you know, it's not. Mm. Sometimes you listen and consider and you're like, well... I already, th- these are things. Got that. I yeah. got that. Check that. But Check. but if you're convinced going in that you know you're right and you know whatever the, the person across the table from you is about to say, or you know exactly, you know, what they're trying to communicate to you, then that's not an open flow of communication. It isn't. And, and the idea that I'm so offended that you would even tell me something. Yeah. Is, is such a hierarchy of I'm better than you. Don't you know that? For sure. Don't. Don't you see that I'm better than you? So do you see how when we're having race discussions, if we get offended when somebody says, you know, when you said this word or the way you did this or the way that the company responded wasn't, you know, it's something you need to look at. And then we're like, no, Mm -hmm. you don't understand. We're in a roundabout way saying, I know more than you. Yeah. The hierarchy is here. And even though, again, it may not be our intention, we talk about intention and impact here all the time. That can be the impact it has. And it's this, it's like, again, going back to the truth is hard, but it's so much easier. This is difficult stuff. Yeah. This like- Well, you're trying to circumvent the ego. We are. And our ego has been going at it pretty good since we were about two or three years old. So we're basically telling our ego to back off. Yes. Which is most of us identify with our ego. And our threat responses that come up that then come up with feelings of fear or embarrassment or old trauma, Mm. we're trying to self-regulate that in real time too. So in no way, this is why the first sentence is, the truth is hard because the real work is that, that self-regulation and that willingness to be vulnerable and the ego identification. And that's hard. But then if you do that, a lot of things go smoother. I don't know if this is going to help or not, but we talked a few times about capital T truth. Uh-huh. And it, um, what's his name? David Foster Wallace and This Is Water. He talks about the capital T truth is blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. How do you define... What's the difference between truth and capital T truth? Because I I have an idea and I can start if you want. Go ahead. So like my truth is that, um, you know, whatever. Little T or big T truth? So my truth is the little truth. Okay, little truth is. Say little Right, so my truth is from my perspective, this is the way I see the world. Okay. That the White Sox are the best baseball team (laughs) in it, whatever. That's my truth. Okay. But... The capital T truth is more like universal, like Correct. inarguable. Correct. So I just, and I, like I said, I don't know if that really fits into our discussion today, mm-hmm. but we've used it a few times. And if I'm listening, I'd be like, what are they talking about? The capital T truth. I think I agree with you. And I, I think that people might have better ways to explain this than we do, but I think about it as universal principles that don't change no matter the what's going on. Like something that we've been talking about for the last three weeks in regards to it, specifically about race is how everything that we've been talking about on Zen Parenting for the last 10 years also applies to to this issue, yeah. that it's not it's not new information, um, it, new awarenesses, yes, and new willingness to expand our perspective. But we've been talking about expanding the perspective and how we listen to others and how we self regulate. It, it's all the same right. pieces now put in practice with an idea that many of us have been unwilling to confront. Sure. So we don't. That's the thing is when we talk about when people talk about what do I believe in or foundational elements. 
And sometimes we talk about generalities like, well, my foundational element is love. Mm -hmm. And I and I love that. That's beautiful. But what does that mean? Yeah. Like, and there's a there's love the word, and then there's capital T truth within the word love. Yeah. What does that mean? It's not romantic love. Mm -hmm. It's not love for certain people. It's not love when I feel like it. Right. It's not love when you don't piss me off. It's yeah. like, what's that big element? Yeah, like almost like unconditional. Like people are like, well, I love I I love that. And then the minute but something gets... But not if gets, you do that. Yeah, but not if you do that. Well, the love, I don't know if that's really what the capital T truth of love is. Correct. Love is unconditional. Correct. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Well, and you know, also, like, it, it, again, holding, you know, how we, this is a cognitive dissonance thing too, like... Todd and I were at our, our town, uh, Elmhurst had a, a peaceful walk and um, vigil on uh, this weekend uh, regarding race. And one of the, the speakers were wonderful, by the way. So to the community members, and it was mostly college students who arranged this vigil and walk, thank you. Um, don't know if you're listening, but if your parents are, thank you. Um, but they had wonderful speakers. And one of the speakers was this man who is- Big I John? Think he's, uh, Big John was great. John was good too, but the man who organized, who's part of the NAACP. Yeah, he's a, he's a president of DuPage County. But that wasn't John. That was No, that was man. not John. That was right. a different man. So he talked about, he had us put our hands on our hearts and he says, what's the final sentence of this, you know, of the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. It's and liberty and justice for all. Mm -hmm. So say that to yourself. And liberty, liberty and, and justice, justice for, for all. all. So if that's the case, and we say that every day, or we have our kids say that every day, why are we disputing what for all means? Right. Like today, there was a historic Supreme Court decision to for the LGBTQ community for all of us for that matter yeah. you know meaning that their that jobs are safe that you can't you know that it's a non-discriminatory you know ruling is sure. what i'm trying to say for the LGBTQ community and that's for all mm. right that to me I, I struggle sometimes when people are like yeah i say the pledge of allegiance but not these people yeah but not you. It disrupts some some people. I mean, all of us. We have a certain narrative of an in, interpretation of what something means. But if right. you really look at it through an open an openness, all means all. Well, and what what certain people mean is flesh colored band aids. Yeah, they're like for the all that is my all. Yeah, versus my all for my all <laughs> versus for all, which is what our country was built on. I love, I think, I can't remember who said it. I'm sure many, many people have said it in their own ways, but about that our country is far from perfect and our country is very young and we have a lot of problems to work through, but our country was built on an idea mm -hmm. and that it's the idea that sustains us. It's the idea that helps us evolve what our country can do. It's not, you know, when people, you know, I don't even like to say, the MAGA sentence, you know, when people are like make make America say it. I dare you, Ugh, sweetie. I can't. I can't say it. But the reason why it's not it there is no reason to go back in time because we've evolved to a much better place. Do we really want to go back to a time when I know some of the struggles are very are mirroring the same struggles, but mm. there are some inroads that we've made too. Of course. And it's not about going backwards. It's about remembering the idea mm -hmm. and then growing that idea in its fullest potential in this period of time, not growing it the same way we did in the 50s. Sure. It's how do we do this today with all the new information that we have? And it's and liberty and justice for all sustains. And we can say, but even then, 
when uh, the idea that our that our foundation that our country was built on had racism in the fabric it absolutely did yeah. so how can we expand that idea and can we look at that as the truth yes like, this is a part of our history yes and as brian stevenson told, taught us like in germany they really um what's the word they bring attention to their history because it was so awful correct and we choose to as a, as a country put up confederate statues and and we choose to pretend that it never happened right and and what brian was teaching us is the only way path forward is through it correct and we have to own our history correct in this country and that was really i mean that was something i pulled from his talk that we went to see well and here's that here's two things that we can hold again can we honor the parts of the idea of our country and and allow that to bloom and blossom and grow and see all the progress we've made and right. realize the history of our country. Realize the history and honor the people who fought for it. Like just because um, there's certain parts of our history that I'm just ashamed of doesn't mean that your uncle who died in the war means that... What is disregarded. That I'm disregarding that your uncle. Right. And we just are so quick to... We're binary. Yeah. We, we, You're either with me or against me. Well, and I think we're always scanning the world for threats. That is what our brain has been evolved to do. So I, I'm not shaming ourselves for that because that's what our brain is designed to do. But we also have this gift of that prefrontal cortex that can discern between, is this really a threat and I'm really getting defensive or can I kind of take a take a different look at this. Well, like, you know, let's talk about Colin Kaepernick for a second. You know, his experience and the experience of his community or people that he loved or, you know, people that he identifies with, whatever it may be, he has seen something and yeah. experienced something where he feels a need to, during the Star Spangled Banner, to kneel mm -hmm. in honor of the people who are not being represented in that ideal. And he's doing it peacefully. And then we say, you're disrespecting the whole country and the flag. That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. And that's cognitive. Again, I'm using cognitive dissonance over and over so you see how it fits in all these things. It's basically saying, oh, if I just say you've disrespected the flag, then I don't have to deal with these feelings. Yeah, and I don't want to deal. I don't want to deal. So instead of holding these two things that are somewhat kind of opposing and difficult, I'm just going to let this one go and say, you're disrespecting the country. Yeah. Whew, now I can go back to being comfortable. Yeah. We don't want anyone to make us uncomfortable. And let's take it back to Zen parenting here. This is the practice that we're doing every day in our homes. Sometimes what Todd needs or what he's asking for are different than what I need. And sometimes it's uncomfortable because I have to confront the fact either that we don't you know, something as simple as we both, I don't like to camp. <laughs> Sweetie, that's your problem. But I don't have to say camping sucks. Camping is all bad. I don't like to camp, but you do. Let's go camping. <laughs> and then with our children, when our children come home and have a differing opinion or they need something different or they identify differently than mm -hmm. we expected them to. Sure. We don't have to say that's bad or you're bad or now our family's bad. It's different. It's do we have enough room to... You know, again, the foundation of what is love. I love you no matter what. Mm -hmm. I love you for who you are. I love you for, and can we have a conversation? Because our ability to demonstrate that love teaches them how to love in that way going forward. Yeah. And then 
do you see how this applies to everything? And, and if we do this kind of work within our own homes with the people we love most, it becomes less difficult to do it in these more social issues because you've been practicing it already. Right. You've been self-regulating and noticing your ego and you've been making room for other people's opinion and you've been loving people even if what they think is different, even if they want to take you camping. Todd doesn't really want to take me camping. Yeah, I do. Do you? Yes. You know I don't want to go, though. I know that for certain. Right. I don't so. know a whole lot for certain. I know for a fact you don't want to go camping. Mm-hmm. No. So, the but that's... You know, it doesn't have to be he's good, I'm bad, I'm bad, he's good. It's all in there. I'm pretty sure I'm right on this one, though. Um, So, Any closing thoughts? Yes. uh, There was one word that I did not share that I think gets thrown into these conversations, and I want to make sure that I share it because I see it everywhere on social media right now. Are you ready? Let's do it. What about ism? Oof. What about ism? It kind of gives a clue to what it means. It is not merely the changing of a subject to deflect away from an earlier subject as a strategy. It's essentially a reversal of an accusation, arguing that an opponent is guilty of an offense just as egregious or worse than what the original party was being accused of. Interesting. What about ism is a tactic from uh, the Soviet Union mm. and later Russia. And its use in Russia helps illustrate how it can be such a useful tool right now, right? As Russian political ex- experts told NPR recently, it's an attractive tactic for populists in particular, allowing them to be vague but appear straight talking at the same time. So what is that? I wanted to read a quote just to make sure that you know everybody knew that this was a real thing. What aboutism is basically us saying something and then the person throws back, but what about this? You haven't considered this. And it really has nothing to do with the thing we just said, but it 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 messes the waters of the conversation. Distracts. So I'll give you my real world example. We okay. had uh, um, a meeting where a tribe men's group meeting where we talked about race, and there was a man that a friend of mine who um, said, "Well, what about this and this and this?" Because we talked about George Floyd yeah. and and how he was treated Breonna by Taylor. the police, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, everybody, and he was like, "Well, what about?" this and what about that and he's talking to and i don't remember exactly what it was but some of it i'll just make percentages numbers yeah percentages numbers what about the white men that are killed by police officers or what about black on black crime and that's those weren't his words i'm now like taking this example and i'm exaggerating it a little bit but that is all of a sudden the topic that we're talking about is different it's a deflection and um, so that is one example. I mean, I can dive deep into it, but I don't want to right now. Um, into that example. Into that into that example or how whataboutism works, but it's just a distraction mechanism. And I, I've been noticing it on social networking a lot because when people say something about, you know, listening to uh, like, you know, like last week, there was that awesome share the mic, pass the mic thing where a lot of women with large platforms um, shared their platform with women of color. And it was amazing. I found new teachers, authors. It was a great, you know, experience for many, but personally I can say it was for me too. And so then, you see a lot of like, well, you know, what about, you know, indigenous people and Latinx people? And and it doesn't mean that's not important. It And 
it's just not the conversation right this second. What my friend said at the meeting was, that's not what tonight's about. That's not what tonight is about. That's a good sentence. Yeah. Is that you're not saying that's not important and you're not weighing what's more important and you're not putting them against each other. You're saying, I'm just trying to say this. Yeah. And so can we have a conversation about this? Because as soon as you start to throw in everything, there's no way, you know, our checks and balances won't hold up. Yeah. There is no perfect conversation where we allow for every single statistic. Sure. It's like this situation we can agree mm-hmm. is challenging. So let's focus here. What about ism? And the reason why I talked about it being um, used, you know, which I didn't know as a, as a Russian tactic, Todd and I are watching the Americans right now. So we're learning all about the Soviet union in the eighties, or at least a fictional version of it. Um, and you know it that it it literally was a tactic and that our own government uses that right now and in politics right. we use it and to be honest it's used by you know republicans and democrats you know to say it's a distraction in the conversation but it's unfortunate because it keeps us off the topics we need to focus on right. and so I'm throwing out whataboutism because sometimes it comes up really naturally as a defense mechanism that because we're having the cognitive dissonance and because we don't want to hold something else as true, we throw up a whataboutism so we can not focus. We can be like, well, I don't even want to feel that. So what about this? Mm-hmm. And you know, again, all you can do, instead of pointing your fingers at other people right now, when do you do it? And when do I do it, Todd? Right. And it's when so, do you do it? It's, yeah, that's a really good point. And instead of us pointing the finger at other people, I certainly do it. We all do it. We do it. I think it. you and I, even though we're pretty practiced on this now, you can do this in arguments with your partner or with your sure. kids where they'll say, you know, you'll say, but you're, you know, you forgot to take, you know, you didn't take out the trash and we really need to take out the trash. What about two weeks ago when you didn't call me when you said you were going to? Right. What, what does that have to do with taking out the trash? Right. We're focusing on this thing, but we we throw in all this. We don't want to feel no. the issue at hand. Or deal with it or, or deal with it. So we throw what about on yeah. it. So I wanted to throw that word in there because I think it lends itself nicely to this conversation. It's good. Um, Anything else, Toddy? No, I, I want to say thank you to Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. and He just did our deck. He just did our deck. Yeah. And uh, if you want to do any painting or remodeling or perhaps build an office in your basement, um, he's your guy. 630-956-1800, avidco.net. And the things that we re- referenced in this podcast, the books and the articles and the podcast that we talked about at the beginning, the Brene Brown podcast, we'll have that in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you on the Zen Talk uh, on Wednesday. Yeah. Is that Wednesday? It's Thursday. Thursday. This week. Thursday, uh, noon. Hope to see you there. Uh, keep trucking. Have Adios. a good week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five star review on iTunes, it helps people find us. Also, subscribe and review our Pop Culturing podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen Talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. 
We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking. Thank you.